As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show post-game edition, and boy, we got a lot of games to talk about. Not quite as earth-shattering as last week, but at least from a ranking standpoint, and I know I say rankings don't matter, but we did see an undefeated team that had been playing really well get destroyed by a team that we didn't think would have a chance. Uh, We saw a quarterback come in and start after coming back and helping his team to a miraculous win last week. We saw a coach on the hot seat win, and maybe that delays the inevitable. We saw the other coach in that game finally relent and put in what everybody thinks is the better quarterback. And surprise, surprise, he was the better quarterback. But then after the game, that coach wouldn't really say anything nice about him, which was kind of weird. <laughs> and they lost a game they shouldn't lose. Also, is that coach? Is that coach now on the hot seat too? I don't think so. I don't think Dan Mullen okay. is on the hot seat. Well, we will get Ari Ari Wasserman. We will get to the the hot Gators takes a little bit later. We need to start in Big Ten country because Iowa was playing really well. Great defense. I think the advanced stats people had been warning us all all season that there might come a game when Iowa got down and was not built to come back. Well, that game arrived in the form of the Purdue Boilermakers and the creepiest mascot in America coming to Iowa City and destroying the Hawkeyes. 24-7, David Bell caught 11 passes for 240 yards. Ari, I don't think Iowa was that good in the first place. That may be what this game was telling us. I know that Georgia is making it cool to be really good at defense again. But that wasn't going to work uh, in Iowa City, I don't think. Um, and I know that their defense is pretty good. But Georgia's also so good at offense, though. That's the difference. They're above average offense, for sure. And I think that Iowa's... Watching Iowa play offense is one of the worst things that a person that likes college football can do. It's painful. I do enjoy watching their center pull and lead on on run plays because... 
that, that are to the to the edge because he's a phenomenal athlete and should be a first round draft pick. But that said, he's also the best player on their offense, and they don't have right now the the first round tight end type. They they just don't have the, anybody really dynamic other than the guys on the offensive line. Unfortunately, I know that rankings don't matter, but in a world where they are the only metric that we can use to put teams in order before the playoff rankings come out. That's can you not ever, true. Vegas can matters. You, we can use their metrics. Well, Vegas should be the, the playoff committee too. If we're, if we're going to go yeah, that route, of but course. can a team ever ascend to have the little number next to their name on a game in the middle of October without a single explosive offensive playmaker? I don't care like how good your defense is, but is there a certain point where it's just like, there's nobody on this offense, you know, and I know Tyler Goodson's a really good running back, but there's nobody on that offense that can make a play. So no matter how good your defense is at a certain point, you're going to, you're going to meet your demise. And to me, if, yeah. if it's on, if the writing's on the wall, then that doesn't make you a top five team. And I understand that rankings are stupid and the people who vote for them spend very little time <laughs> putting them together. And if you have a zero in the loss column, that's more important than actually analyzing the teams. But, you know, coming into this, to this weekend, it didn't take Iowa losing to Purdue for somebody to, you know, be like, well, is this really a top 10 team? There's nothing that you could say on this podcast right now that could convince me that Iowa's a top 10 team in America. No. And, and the way Purdue handled it and, and Purdue's played well this season, Purdue's defense has been good this season. Uh, if you've been reading Bruce Feldman, if you read the freaks list, you already knew all about George Karloftis and we're not surprised today when you saw him kind of living in Iowa's backfield in spite of, Iowa having a very good offensive line. So I, I don't think anybody was terribly surprised that Iowa lost. I think they were surprised they lost in this fashion. I mean, Purdue beat Iowa the way that Georgia beat Kentucky. That's right. That's right. Um, which is crazy because you would have thought that it would be the other way around you know, based on what we understood about Iowa. And, you know, I know a lot of their success was predicated on forcing timely turnovers and having short fields and being able to, you know, get points in crucial situations. But, you know, if you're ever down by 10 points in with that team, it feels like an insurmountable lead. And, uh, you know, especially at home too, you know, when you, you never think that a team that on paper is much, much better than the opponent would uh, you know, not be able to get a first down, it felt like. And the funniest thing, too, is that once the game was over, like Iowa had the ball inside of Purdue's red zone or nearing Purdue's red zone like three times. And if they would have scored picks. touchdowns, they could have, if they didn't throw picks, they might have been able to make a game out of it. But really what I what I think, and maybe we can move on to, to Michigan State as part of this, is sure, how many yeah. of, the, of, the, of the top 10 teams in the Big Ten do you think are legitimately good? Ohio State. Right. And and how long did it take for you to to come to that conclusion? Was it today, or did you know that when uh, before any of them lost? Right. So Two weeks it's ago. just. I, and why do you know that? It's based off of roster makeup. Talent. It's based off and, of and, talent. And, Ohio and it's State based on eye test. Rolling. C.J. Stroud coming back after being hurt. Like, yeah, it was it was seeing Ohio State kind of click into place, and you're like, oh, that's Ohio State. Now Ohio State isn't perfect. They have some defensive flaws that if they play another elite team, which we saw against Oregon, they have some flaws that can be exploited. Those flaws may even be exploited by some of the teams in the Big Ten. But Iowa, Ohio State's going to be favored against Michigan State, against Penn State, and against Michigan 
And if they play Iowa in the Big Ten championship game, they're going to be favored against Iowa too. This might be the worst Ohio State team since the team that got blown out by Purdue, bringing it all around. Um, <laughs> Closing the circle? Yeah, it's a circle of life. It's a circle. Um, so that that that's the team where they picked Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow as the starter, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, and Dwayne Haskins did set records and and was a first round draft pick. I'm not trying to criticize, but they did pick him over the guy who ran the best listen, offense in the history of college football. I get constantly criticized, and I think Sam, Seth Emerson hates me because of it, or Georgia writer. But I give Kirby Smart a lot of crap for letting Justin Fields leave the program. Yeah, like, they I get think a it's pass the most, for letting Joe Burrow leave. So if if I think that that is something that's inexcusable then I also have to have the same thought process, right? Now, it's a little bit easier to understand because the Ohio State decision ended up with a a quarterback that was a Heisman finalist and was a top 15 pick in the NFL draft. Uh, But also, too, I think part of being a coach is understanding what's on your roster and understanding the potential of what's on your roster. And I know that there are hard decisions to be made and and the hardest, (laughs) that's a discussion we'll be having later in this show for sure. It's funny because in a world where Caleb Williams is out there throwing nine touchdown passes a week after replacing Spencer Rattler, it's just like, is it really that impossible to fathom how on earth Kirby smart could have ever gotten to a point where he might not have started Jake Fromm? Like, is it so crazy to think that? No, of course not. It's insanity. And it maybe, well, it in my it opinion, goes back if- to a question, a question that you and Landis asked me years ago at the Heisman ceremony. I believe it was the, it was the one where uh, it was the day before the ceremony, and it was when Haskins was a finalist. Well, I don't and even remember said, what I asked. You said, "What's the difference between Urban Meyer and Nick Saban?" And oh, I yeah. said. Nick Saban would have benched JT Barrett. Yeah, and I and I think that would have been and to talk, you know talk about like heart and soul of a team. You know, that JT Barrett meant more to Ohio State than maybe any other player, you know, from a, he, from an emotional standpoint. I mean, from a heart any, and soul standpoint, he was like Jalen Hurts. But guess who doesn't care about heart and soul? Nick Saban. He wants Guess to who win. has the most national titles yeah. right now? Right. And and, so, and guess what? Guess guess who's an NFL starter and who's not? Jalen Hurts yeah. is an NFL starting quarterback. JT Barrett is, is not an NFL quarterback at all. Now, so, I don't know how much you want to criticize Ohio State's coaching staff for not recognizing what Joe Burrow would ultimately become two years in advance because if you were to no, pick no, no. The, no, the, the, you would have put Haskins in. Yeah, you would have put Haskins because in. Because the year-by-year right. year results of the same following year, Haskins was by far the better quarterback the first year. The second year, Joe Burrow might have been the best quarterback we've ever seen. So, like, does a coach – is a coach supposed to be able to identify that? I think you can make the argue argument that if you're making seven or $8 million a year, that you should be the same way that I believe that Kirby smart should have identified that Justin Fields was one of the greatest athletes to ever play the position and do whatever he could to not leave the program. Because I think Georgia might have a national championship had they not done that. So, okay. You know, well, uh, while, while we're here, cause we we've now gone off, we veered off the big 10 discussion and into the discussion that will be the meat of this show. Before we have the discussion that we're going to have, about Florida, let's talk about Oklahoma's game against TCU because I think I think it's educational. So Caleb Williams came in to the Texas-Oklahoma game, rallied the Sooners to a miraculous comeback, and 
This week, Lincoln Riley would not commit to whether Caleb Williams or Spencer Rattler would start. Uh, the intrepid student journalist at Oklahoma watched practice from a public building, got the you know pulled the okie doke on the on the paranoid coaching staff, and said, "Hey, look, Caleb Williams is practicing with the first team." To uh, the response to that, of course, was Oklahoma banning media availability for the rest of the week. They they, also, they pulled media availability for the rest of the week because because they're sour. Because they weren't smart enough to secure their own practices, Is this even the though they're first completely time paranoid. In the history of Oklahoma football, where somebody was able to watch the practice from that public building, probably not. And and so here's here's what they should have done: they should have invited those intrepid student reporters in and said, "You get an exclusive with Lincoln Riley for outsmarting us and outsmarting all of the the people who get paid to do what you do." Yeah. Also, that's, get that's those kids a done. job. <laughs> because everybody knew Caleb Williams was going to start. It wasn't like it was a big, it wasn't, they weren't saying it, but it wasn't a secret because everybody knows because we have eyes and we watch the Texas Oklahoma game because it would have been stupid to not start Caleb Williams. So yes, Caleb Williams started. He went 18 for 23 for 295 yards with four touchdowns and Oklahoma won 52 to 31. And that's he just is the clearly identity. the best quarterback on the roster. He might be the best quarterback in the country. And that's what you you get when you have the gumption as the coach to make that decision. And now all of a sudden, after a 52-31 win uh, over TCU, Oklahoma now has the feeling that it had coming into the season. And it's just like overnight, Oklahoma went from inherently flawed team that's going to eventually lose to badass offense with young star quarterback who now is one of the top three programs teams in the league in the country this year who are probably going to make the playoffs. So like kudos to Lincoln Riley for doing it. Like I know that decisions like that aren't easy. You know, I know that there are, are locker rooms and, and thought processes and, and even roster management to a certain standpoint too, right? When you make decisions of who's going to play, you also have to deal with the idea that you might lose guys because of it. You know, it's, it's not an easy thing to make that decision, but if you, you know, triple bypass everything and get right to the heart of it, all you have to do is know who's the best player and put them on the field. And all the other stuff is might be challenging. You might have hurt feelings. You might have people leave. But when you're built like Oklahoma, you can rebuild through recruiting. And you can do all the things that you can to make sure that your roster is com complete the following year. And I'm completely on board for every coach who has that sense of ruthlessness to a certain extent in order to put their team in a best position but to win. It's, because it's, it's, not, it's not ruthlessness. Because, you, yes, you have a responsibility to the guy in the Spencer Rattler situation because he's on your team. But you know who else you have a responsibility to? The whole team. Everybody else on the team. And you have a responsibility to them to put them in the best position to win. And you put them in the best position to win by playing the best player. Andy, you've been covering college football your entire career. Yes. You played on a, a college football team to a certain extent, right? Human tackling dummy. How many coaches over the past 20 years played the best players at every position every week. Most I think of it, them did. I don't think most of them do, at least not at the powerhouse level. I think you can make a case that there was a, a, a pandemic, an epidemic of, of older scholarship players oh. playing over, oh, over more talented they, younger they players. They paid their dues. And they, yes, yes. Yes. It's, it's interesting though. Cause like, you know, I criticized Urban Meyer earlier for for sticking probably too long with JT Barrett. 
But he was one of the first I ever heard who said, you're not redshirting. We don't bring you here to redshirt. We're going to play you if you're good. And he did play freshman in other positions if they were really good. Well, it's funny because in the Urban Meyer that I covered at Ohio State, there was a pattern of playing older, more experienced players over young, more talented players. I think you could point to 5 to 10, 15, maybe even uh, scenarios where Ohio State was playing players that weren't as talented or more capable. As yeah, you know who doesn't care sophomores. about that? Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Yeah. Who is better than everyone else at coaching But I also football. think that that's becoming more and more apparent, and the idea of playing the best player is not – I think the ideas of seniority and who paid their dues and who has more experience. Like, I also – I, you know, listen, I'm just a sports writer. I don't coach. I think you can make the case that experience is overrated. Well, and, and I think part of the reason – and I'll, I'll defend the coaches a little bit who, who go with the older guys – is they worry that someone who is respected in the locker room, if they get benched, that they could potentially lose the locker room. I would argue, though, that you are more likely to lose the locker room if you don't play the best player. Because the players aren't stupid. They see what they see at practice. And it gives every single player on the team hope that if they perform and do the best in practice, which is where they're supposed to perform and and give their heart and and the locker room and – off-season weight training and all the things that everybody has to do in order to get onto the field that you'll be rewarded with playing time. That's more of a warm feeling than it is for, for players who come in and sit behind players. They feel they're better than, and I bet you there's been a lot of, of really, really good players who have left programs because they were upset. They weren't Mm -hmm. playing over the player. They feel they feel they're better than we'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Let's go to Baton Rouge then. Let us go to Baton Rouge. Took you long so enough. So we go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. <laughs> 
where I mean, we're going to have to talk about this game for a while because there's obviously two sides of this of this story. You first and foremost, you have the team that won LSU. The idea was Florida was going to come in, roll over them, and they'd fire Ed Orgeron, and then that would be that. Now, did Ed Orgeron save his job long term by winning this game? I don't think he did. I think to put it in terms the Florida people will understand, this is Will Muschamp beating Georgia, which was a brief reprieve. I think that what what was going to happen is still going to happen. I just don't know when it's going to happen. And this is some good vibes. Like we said, now we covered all our bases on Friday. We we covered this potential scenario as well as Florida rolling over them. But what did we say? This looked a little bit like when LSU went into Gainesville last year, or last year, where it was kind of everything's bad, all the news is bad, they're down to kind of the studs, and this is this is what they've got on the roster. And they it galvanized them and they played their best game of the season. Well, guess what? It galvanized them and they played their best game of the season. Didn't hurt that the running game, which had been pretty ineffective until kind of the after the Kentucky game was decided. Ty Davis Price, 36 carries for a school record 287 yards, three touchdowns. They were just running the same couple plays over and over, over, and again. over again. We will get to, well, we can talk about that now. And one of the big complaints among the Florida people is Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator, very highly paid defensive coordinator, has not been getting it done the past year and a half. This was a bad game for Todd Grantham. You, you can't get steamrolled by a team with a limited roster that just lost its best receiver that has not been able to run the ball really all year. You can't get steamrolled by them running the same two plays over and over. You just can't. Well, it was the idea that you have to adjust and make sure that you're running a defense that, you know, accounts for those. Because, like, the thing, too, is Florida's defensive line got its butt kicked. Like, yes. I mean, like they, I mean, so at a certain point, it's just like, I mean, if you're holding a headset, I, I don't know what you you call in those scenarios, but if, you're, if your defensive line is getting blown off the ball and they're running up the middle of the, of the teeth of the defense over and over again, it's just like, what do you do? Just send the house up the middle and then hope for the best? I mean, like at a certain yeah, point, it's kind of out of their hands. Yeah, you can do it. And the other problem was Max Johnson was doing a really good job of getting out. If, if there was any pressure, he was getting away from that person who was applying the pressure and, and squeezing it off a throw. And, and that's... That left them with very few options, but we'll get to Florida's offense now. Here, this is this is this is the thing. They finally put Anthony Richardson in as the guy to lead the offense when they had really no other choice. This is after they, they had a hail mary, or it's not even a hail mary. It's like a forty-two yard touchdown pass on the last play of of the first half, which got Florida in striking distance. They immediately give that up by throwing a pick six right out of the shoot in the second half, and so Emory Jones gets benched. Anthony Richardson comes in. Anthony Richardson leads them on four consecutive touchdown drives. Now, he did throw two interceptions in this game, once in relief early of Jones and once at the very end. So it's not perfect. But the difference in how LSU's defense had to approach it when Anthony Richardson was in the game was drastic. It was stark. Like you watched LSU's defenders and suddenly there was so much more room to throw to receivers because someone was terrified of Anthony Richardson taking off and running. And there was a play at at one point in the third quarter where LSU does get a little pressure. He slips it and runs for like 25, 30 yards. That's what he can do. That's the difference. 
And oh, by the way, arms just as good, seem to run the offense just as well. This doesn't seem that difficult. But after the game, Dan Mullen really wouldn't say anything nice about Anthony Richardson. He said he's a developing quarterback. And he said, everybody wants to put a label on people. Well, that's the label I'd put on him, a developing young quarterback. You can say he's good. You can say that without admitting that you're going to start him against Georgia. Because I, I wouldn't admit that I was going to start him against Georgia. You got two weeks. Make Georgia prepare for everything. But know this. If Anthony Richardson does not start against Georgia, there will be some serious questions about Dan Mullen. Like, if you start Emory Jones against Georgia, you'd better win that game. It better not look like what Georgia's done to everybody else. Two thoughts. One, and these are both stemming back to the uh, the discussions that we had on Friday's show. But one, we said that Dan Mullen is probably one of the better X's and O's game day on the field coaches Correct. in the country. Where that do you is, that f- is undeniable. So where do you file this in the in the uh, discussion of that? of not being able to or seemingly not being able to identify the better quarterback and waiting till it, maybe I, mean, I guess it wasn't too late cuz it was a close game in the second half. Ari, who, but did, not, who did Dan who did Dan Mullen work for for years? Urban. Yeah. He's handling it the same way Urban would have. He did this at Mississippi State, by the way. He stayed with Tyler Russell a little bit too long instead of starting a young Dak Prescott. So is and this then a loyalty it took Tyler thing? Tyler Russell getting hurt for for Dak to be the guy. It's a loyalty thing. I don't know if it's a loyal. And, and look, if anyone has inspired loyalty, it's Emory Jones, who could have left. But guess who could leave now? Like, That's right. If you mess this up and Anthony Richardson is starting for somebody else next year, like that's as bad as Kirby losing Justin Fields to Ohio State. Maybe worse because the difference with Kirby is he's got a bunch of five stars. Florida does not have the same level. The Florida is a top 10, 24-7 talent composite team. But what do we always say, Ari? What can, what's the only thing that can close the gap between the 5 to 10 guys and the 1 to 5 folks in that, in that talent composite? Quarterback. Special quarterback. You've got one. Don't mess it up. I think, I, think I might... Him. I think I might push back a little bit about the 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 worse than Justin Fields thing because I don't know how it could get worse than that. But it's just like, do you think what if that he's, what if he's as good or better than Justin Fields? Yeah, I mean, I guess I, if he ever gets to that point, then we can play this tape and make fun of me. But you know, I think that it takes a lot to be better than Justin Fields. Um, but at the same time, if even if he's in the same galaxy as him, like is that how we view Richardson at this point? as one of the best young quarterbacks in college football, who's going to be the face of a program. The, the potential's off the charts. Now, does he have to work his way to meet that potential? Absolutely. That's not guaranteed. But is he the best option they have right now to have a chance in two weeks against Georgia? Yes, he is. I don't think there's anything we've seen that would suggest otherwise. Yeah, I think that's fair. Also, you know, you say, I wouldn't... Uh, admit to the world that Richardson's going to be starting in two weeks against Georgia and make him prepare for anything. But here's the question I have for you and maybe makes it sound even worse from, but like, what does Emory Jones do that Richardson can? Is he's bigger and can put his, his shoulder down a little bit more. Richardson's bigger. Richardson's faster. 
Richardson has a bigger arm. So the the the, the company line has been that Emory runs the offense better. I I would argue that the tape suggests otherwise that they're either equal or Richardson's actually a little better at it because the defense has to be so afraid of him running. Well, let me get to my second point. Okay. On the show on Friday, you said if Florida loses this game, things are going to be uncomfortable in Gainesville. Yes. What I do agree. you think? And they are. I agree with me on that. They do are you, very do, uncomfortable in Gainesville. Yeah. So I just like, well, I wonder, like I joked at the beginning of the show, uh, one coach might have held off the fire from the hot seat for another week and might have put another one on it. Like, where is yeah. Mullen in your mind? Okay. I think he's safe, but I thought Jim McElwain was safe until he wasn't. Now, Jim McElwain sort of created his own demise. He, he made up a, a story about death threats, and it made it very easy for an administration that wanted to get rid of him because they just didn't like him to get rid of him. Mullen's, Mullen's a little more interesting because obviously Mullen's been very successful at Florida. He had the program going in a very good direction. I, I still think he has the program going in a fine direction. Like if they go eight and four this year, I don't think it's the end of the world. But I went and looked at his contract. I had never looked at Dan Mullen's buyout because didn't see like there, it didn't seem like there was any need to. Like, why would you even care what his buyout was? He was doing fine. But just for, for you know, what's and giggles, I, I went and looked. So he got that big extension and, and, and raise this past offseason, but it didn't change the buyout. And, and I, that's the part that I think is really interesting. So he's now making $7.5 million a year, and he signed up through, I want to say, 2025 or maybe even 2026. I think it was 2026. So you think, okay, that's like Gus Malzahn level buyout. It is not. Do you know what the buyout is, Ari? If they fire him this year? Enlighten me. It's $12 million. Do you know what the buyout is if they fire him next year? What is it? $12 million. Do you know what the buyout is if they fire him the year after that? Should I just guess $12 million? You'd be correct. $12 million. It's $12 million until the amount left on the contract is lower than $12 million, and then it becomes that. Also, and this is the other part you need to look at when you look at buyouts, is how it's paid out. Half due in the first installment, right when you fire him, or within a few few weeks of firing him. So that'd be six million bucks. And then 8.3% in annual installments for the next six years. So essentially, to buy out Dan Mullen, they would have to pay six million dollars up front and a million a year for six years. That is extremely manageable. Now, again, I don't think Scott Strickland would do it. Not right now. But if this keeps up, if they if they somehow lose to Missouri or South Carolina or Florida State, and if they decide not to play the best quarterback, there may be there there, there may be something that happens. Man, I uh it's crazy how how quickly things can happen, though, right? I mean, it just oh yeah. Two two weeks ago, there this wouldn't have even been a conversation, and you know, and the thing too that's kind of funny is is we're in the midst of a season where Florida fans reasonably weren't expecting a playoff push. You right. know, I think that it's but just, I, it's kind I of, told you they were not going to be happy with the results that we all knew they were going to get. Now I thought that was going to be a nine and three season. I did not expect like I, I thought there might be one loss to Kentucky or LSU, 
but not to both. And so I think that's where they're, they're upset and they're, they're afraid because the LSU had been pretty bad up to this point. They're afraid now that it means they might lose to a South Carolina or a Missouri, which I, I, I still can't see having watched those teams play. Florida State getting better, but I still can't see that either. Uh, Georgia, look, if they win against Georgia, that's then, then none of this matters. That Mullen can say whatever he wants. But nothing we've seen from Florida or from Georgia suggests that Florida is going to win that game. Yeah, nothing we've seen from Georgia suggests that anybody can beat them. Right. So let's let's listen to a question that Emory, or sorry, that, that, that Anthony Richardson was asked after the game. And I, I'm using air quotes around the word question. It's really more of a plea. And then listen to what he said, because I think it's it's very, very interesting. Here we go, Ari. And, and can you just put, I mean, like the Gator fans, put them at ease a little bit that, uh, I mean, here you are, you love the Gators, raised in Gainesville, but they're still probably still nervous that like, you know, you're leaving one day or if it doesn't go your way, you're leaving, walking out the door. Is there any chance that happens? Oh, I I can't really speak on that. It's time. Time is the only thing I can tell, but right now I'm a Gator, so that's the only thing that matters. Thank you, sir. That doesn't sound particularly reassuring from a guy who absolutely has leverage because Ari, based on what he's put on tape this year, and granted, it is a limited sample, but I would argue 120 teams would take him to start for them in 2022 right now. I think the reporter who asked that question could have been like, should have just asked it more concisely and just said, Anthony, you're not going to leave me, are you? I don't know why it was asked that way. That's that's not the way I would have asked it either. I, I you know, the, it's it's de- delicate to ask that question now. That you have to say, you know, you, you really have to just be blunt and say, Anthony, is there any thought of transferring if you don't wind up starting quarterback at Florida? Which is not something he really even needs to be thinking about right now because it would be silly to leave the team during the season because who, you can't play for anybody else right now. So just Remember, he's from Gainesville. He played for Eastside High School. So, of course, try to make it work and then see where you're at by the end. He may be the starting quarterback by the end of this season, and it may not matter. But that's that's what's interesting about this. And, okay, we got cops on the field, by the way, at, at, <laughs> at Tennessee and Ole Miss. We'll get saw back. Tennis- I saw Tennessee we'll had the ball. It. Uh, with a chance to well, win, and it didn't work out. Ole, we'll Ole Miss get... has the ball right now. They're trying to salt away the clock. There's a spot that that people don't seem particularly happy with, and it is, uh, yeah, <laughs> like each each coach's police escort is on the field <laughs> with him as they as they discuss this. Vols fans are not happy. They are uh, they are displeased. I just saw a bottle fly by on the screen, so. Uh, it's 31-26 Ole Miss, 54 seconds to go. Tennessee's cheerleaders leaving the field. So this game, by the way, oh, Kiffin and Heupel are, are having a discussion now. This game, by the way, lots of fun. Did not hit the over, but heck of a lot of fun. They're still Isn't reviewing the play. is the game over, though, right now? They are still reviewing the play. So 
Sorry, there are cops and bottles on the field. I know we were in the middle of a very spirited discussion about what was going on with uh, with this, but if the episode title of this of this episode isn't "There are cops on the field," then I'm resigning. <laughs> well, I mean, I was you. You realize I'm not really a big hot take guy, and I, I'm I'm blasting out fire takes here. So what it is is Tennessee had the ball. There, there is a question of a spot. Did they get across, essentially across the almost 40-yard line? And it is really close. Uh, the ball was marked at kind of the, the 41 and a half. And if you look at the replay, it's very hard to tell where it was when he actually landed. And so, yes, if, if Ole Miss gets the ball back, it's probably over, although Tennessee does have all three timeouts. But it's... Uh, it's not going to be a happy night for those officials getting out of Knoxville if uh, if this is the case because you know if you, the the angle they have from behind it kind of looks like he does make the first down but it's not a great angle and and you can't you can't tell where the ball is you see he's got the ball in his left hand and you're looking at his back and then you see his his right hand flop down so from behind you see his knee flop down but you still can't tell where the ball is so. That's what the the kerfluffle is about, and that's why everybody's mad. So if Tennessee had gotten that first down, their drive continues. Obviously, they have a chance to win. Uh, Now there's a discussion going on with the officials and and Lane Kiffin. Yeah, probably the worst thing that could have happened, a supremely controversial call at the end of the game that Lane Kiffin comes back to Knoxville as a head coach. There's the cheerleaders are leaving the field. There are cops on the field. The band is leaving and the field. I just uh, saw someone, is, someone had their songbook covering their face to, to shield them from any potentially thrown objects. The field is littered with bottles and cans, bottles and cans. Clap your hands. As, as Beck once said, I was watching the game cast of this game while we were talking and it told me that Tennessee had like a fourth and 27 that they didn't convert and they were calling timeouts. And I thought the game was over. You know, it was, and this was that play. Like they, they, they got, according to the officials, 26 and a half yards of that 27 yards. Okay. So they're reviewing to see whether or not it was a first down. Yes. Yes. And Tennessee has all three of their timeouts. They do. And, and Ole Miss has two. So it it is going to be a, a spectacular finish to this game. Although we, the, all right, the official has blown his whistle, and they are saying, Ole Miss, take the ball. So we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that. They're still sorting things out in Knoxville. But back to this, this Florida situation. One of Anthony Richardson or Emory Jones will be leaving after this season. That is, the, the, that is life in 2021. And I know Emory Jones was very patient and stuck around. But if I'm Emory Jones and, and I don't wind up the starting quarterback by the end of this year, I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere else because he has been pretty good. He will find a place where he can start somewhere. But if Anthony Richardson is not the starting quarterback at the end of this year, he will have everyone ready to bring him in. I mean, he doesn't make Clemson better immediately. Did you watch them on Friday night against Syracuse? Yeah, so the estimation of how many teams he would start at is over 100? I think it's over 120. Like, Oklahoma doesn't need him. Alabama doesn't need him. 
Uh, I don't think Ohio State needs him. I think they're pretty happy with who they got. I'm running out of teams, Ari. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's the I entire Stan- name of the game. I think Stanford football. likes Tanner McKee, although they can't block for him. If you watch the end of the Washington State game on Saturday, they don't block for him very well. Uh, okay, I'm still still going. Uh, Matt Corral is going to be gone, so Ole Miss, Ole Miss won't have him anymore. I think LSU likes Max Johnson. I think they're pretty happy with him, and they're happy with, with Garrett Nussmeyer behind him, too. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, 120 seems like a good, good safe bet. So by the way, the uh, Tennessee dance team now exiting, they have the letters like V O L S on a cardboard square. They're holding it over their heads so they don't hit by, get hit by bottles thrown from the stands. These are Tennessee students, by the way. Uh, Knoxville is just a, just a wonderful place, isn't it? It is a wonderful place. I lived there for two years. I loved it. It is a, it is one of the greatest places. I'm serious. I'm I know. Serious. I know. I know you are. The people are great. Like it, it's awesome. I just this is this is crazy. <laughs> you just I, the, there's a bunch of dudes who I didn't. I don't think they came to this game thinking they were going to need to defend the field from a field storming that isn't from happy people. Well, just out of curiosity, Andy, let's say theoretically somebody you knew had Tennessee plus three and a half in this game. And theoretically. The, and the, theoretically. And the entire stadium just storms onto the field and they can't mm-hmm. finish the game as a result. They call of it a what no happens contest? to the bet? It's a no contest? Theoretically, it's a it's a no contest. Theoretically. Theoretically. And, yeah. and, and that person would probably get their money back. Yeah. Theoretically. Okay. Well, let me know if they rush the field. <laughs> Matt, Matt Corral seems intent on on heading back out there. He's he's bouncing up and down. So theoretically, well, good for that Tennessee for getting that twenty six and a half though, huh? Twenty six and a half yards on fourth and twenty seven. That's a pretty good effort. Listen, this I, I what no matter what happens at the end of this game, I'm so impressed with what Josh Heupel's done at Tennessee. Given everything, the complete storm of crap that he inherited and the guys on the roster who stuck around like they've been awesome they they really have because they shouldn't have been able to win any games in the sec after what 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 they had to deal with and they've been very good they, they've been competitive uh the the pit team they lost to has turned out to be really good we got to talk about that later in the show Pitt being awesome, though we'll never bet on them again. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you want to you put your money in your mouth when you say they're awesome? No. Somebody threw a mustard bottle, like a whole mustard bottle. That, okay. Who throws that a shoe? That means that somebody. That means that somebody went to the concession stand and grabbed a bottle of mustard and then ran back to throw it. What is this, Got, like a, hey, a bottle gate they've situation? The, they've been doing the Twisted Tea commercials. There's Twisted Tea cans. So they're, they're clearing out the stands, basically. Like, they're clearing out the student section. Yeah, they're basically telling them to all go home. <laughs> Play the last 54. The last 54 seconds is going to look like a game from 2020. Man. That's crazy that the most interesting thing that's happening in college football is in the middle of us talking, huh? It's almost like we planned it this way. We did. Yeah, we, we did. We did. So... We'll we'll let you know what happens in, in the end here. But we got we do have another set of things to cover. We have a lot of stuff to cover. The the Florida thing will be very interesting. They do not play again 
for two weeks. They play Georgia. The most in, one interesting thing about this, Ari, is there is a, a precedent for Florida basically redesigning its offense in that two weeks to completely befuddle a, a very good Georgia defense for at least two series. And that happened in 2005 when Dan Mullen was the offensive coordinator, Urban Meyer was the head coach. That, that was right after they'd gone to LSU. They couldn't cross the 30-yard the line in, in four tries in the fourth quarter. And they completely redesigned the offense. Basically, they looked at what, it, what had worked for Florida the year before when they weren't there and created this kind of like small package of an offense that led to two touchdowns on the first two drives and then the defense carried them the rest of the way. The problem now is you could do that against Georgia and your defense isn't good enough to carry you the rest of the way. Yeah, I don't Georgia know. score too many points. I don't know what, what the plan is here, but also I'm going to say that I think Georgia's defense is good enough to rise above the befuddlement. Oh, Lane Kiffin got hit with a golf ball. Un- <laughs> Unbelievable. They're still talking. They're still not bringing the, the players are warming up again. So somebody brought a this golf is ball a, to the game. Apparently so. A <laughs> golf ball and a full bottle of mustard. You know, you wow. golf club and a hot dog, you get yourself an afternoon, you know? Well, who was it? Was it who brought the golf club to the moon? Was it was it Alan Shepard? Did he bring the I don't golf know club the answer to, the to that question. There, there was an astronaut who brought a golf cl- and hit a golf ball on the moon. So that that guy, that Vols fan who who had a golf ball in his he must have been wearing cargo shorts, right? He has to be wearing cargo shorts to have a golf ball just randomly in his pocket. Somebody just tweeted it's like Vol Twitter came to life. Who do you think those people are? <laughs> I know. <laughs> who did you think they were? <laughs> We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. We have to move on to some of these other games. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. But it's just, let's, okay. We'll stick in the sec. We'll talk about Georgia because, because Georgia has been sort of hovering over this entire discussion all day. They mushed Kentucky, but, but, and, I, I don't gamble on football. We know this. I've, I've said this many times. You you have been known every once in a while to theoretically. Yeah, now and then, theoretically. Yeah. What did we think of Mark Stoops calling timeout to cover? You know, I kind of respect it. You know, whenever I'm involved in a situation like that, I'm on the other side of it. But, um, you know, I do think, too, that when Kentucky's in a position that it's in right now, that making the scoreboard look a little nicer is a, is a nice little thing to feel good about, you know, because they're already won their first six games. They, I thought were far more competitive than probably people would have given them credit for coming into this game. Yeah. I'm far more willing to put Kentucky in the top 10, uh, than I would any of the big 10 teams not named Ohio state right now. Uh, you know, I thought they, they had a very good effort and for a large portion of that game, you know, it. I, I thought they were very, very good. Now, the question here is, is there anybody in college football that can score 28 points on Georgia's defense? That is that is the operative question. Alabama's offense when fully functional? Ohio State's offense when fully functional? 
Because 28 in a playoff game in the past years would be a successful defensive effort. Correct. Correct. That would that would win you the game. And now I still wonder, is there a is there a transcendent offense or a transcendent quarterback? Is there somebody that can do like maybe Oklahoma? Can they can they get them into a shootout? Because I go back. I, I've said this before, but I go back to 2015. That Alabama team had a tremendous defense. They they won games with defense and Derrick Henry down the stretch, but they had to win a shootout against Clemson. Clemson had Deshaun Watson. They had just they were just loaded, and they roped Alabama into a shootout. And it took Nick Saban, with you know, calling an onside kick at the perfect time, to to win the game. So can some will somebody do that to Georgia? In the playoff, is there an offense capable of doing that to Georgia in the playoff? I have no idea. Yeah, it's like I felt weird picking Georgia to win the national championship coming into the year, but just because you know history and not making it all the way in the previous years kind of just gets in the back of your head. But I don't know that I felt more confident that a team was going to win the national championship in October than I do in Georgia right now. Any of the past seven years, maybe Alabama. I don't know. It's hard to put yourself in the same October 16th, 17th mindset that you might have had in 2017. But like Georgia's a really, I mean, their defensive line is, it's unmanageable. How do you, I don't even know what you do. Did you see the blocked field goal? Yes. Where, what do where, you do? Where Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, the poor number 68 for Kentucky. I'm not going to name him because he doesn't deserve the embarrassment. He, he suffered enough. Like I actually don't even think it's embarrassing. It's just like he, it is what it is. He, okay, <laughs> we're going back to the. They they are now playing. It's second and thirteen. The Tennessee fans who are still in the stadium have moved down to the front of the stands. So like they cleared out the front of the stands, and the fans just moved down and are banging on the walls. <laughs> this is. This is like the night Lane Kiffin left Knoxville. Is there any chance that Tennessee can get the ball back? Or are they just running the clock out now? They had three timeouts. So it's third and 12. There's 47 seconds left. There's one timeout. So Ole Miss will run a play, and Tennessee will call timeout, and Ole Miss will punt. And the fans are are filling in. They're filling. This is amazing. This is incredible. I'm so glad we're doing the podcast now. Normally, because you, you we'll, we'll take everybody behind the curtain. Ari wanted to slip the podcast in between putting the baby down for a nap and next feeding. Yes. And so we went a little earlier than we normally would. Normally, I would have said, we're not starting until this game ends. Well, guess what? We started before the game ended because we figured, oh, it'll end relatively early in the show. And we'll just talk about it as soon as it's over. And we'll say, what a fun game that was. And, uh, you know, didn't hit the over, but that's okay. Instead, it's something completely different. Yeah, if I would have known that somebody would have thrown a golf ball, uh, maybe that would have been different. But you can't you can't really predict those types of things, can you? So Matt Corral just got sacked. 43 seconds left. Tennessee calls its final timeout. And Ole Miss is punting. This is... Amazing. If Tennessee Just comes amazing. back to win this game somehow, it might be one of those Stanford bands. It will be the great. Thing. Yeah. I realize they won a national title in, in, in 1998 and they won national titles under, under General Nealon, but 
this might be the most beloved game in Tennessee history if they come back and win this thing. Like this, this will be the game that there were 104,000 people actually there and a million people will say they were there. Yeah. Probably feels like there are a million people there. Not anymore. Because they threw a bunch of people out. <laughs> so they're getting the punt. Georgia still looks like they're going to destroy everybody. Oklahoma looks like a playoff team again. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to what's going on in Tennessee Ole Miss. We, we're going to have a, a change of possession here. So, But this is going to be a pretty wild finish to this season. And I realize that, you know, we think, by the way, unbelievable punt return for Tennessee. They have the ball on the Ole Miss 46 with 27 seconds left, and they're down five. And I realize if you're listening to this, you watched this. This is in the past for you. I, we'll I enjoy it as we live it now. Shut up. What's that? I said, let's well, enjoy us living it through it. This is unbelievable. I, I've never seen anything like this. They threw out a bunch of the people in the stands and the rest of the people in the stands just filled in. <laughs> or maybe they just filled in where the band was. That might have been just, they, they filled in the, the seats that the band had vacated. Which, you know, those are pretty good seats. So Hendon Hooker has 27 seconds to, to make a miracle happen. And he has taken off running, first down, stops the clock while the chains move. Ari, we may be witnessing a miracle here. You're witnessing it. I'm in the nursery right now watching your facial expressions. Oh, wait. So I, wait, you're learning. You're, oh, no. Oh, is that Hendon Hooker down? Oh, you've got to be kidding me. You have got to be kidding me. So they are scrambling Joe Milton to get him ready. Joe Milton will be a legend in Tennessee forever if he throws a TD pass here. Legend. This is, this is incredible. And if Hendon Hooker is, is hurt for any length, that is just horrible. I have His story this season has been one of my favorites because... You know, he he comes from Virginia Tech. He goes to Tennessee as a grad transfer. When he gets there, Jeremy Pruitt's still the coach. Every all of this stuff that happened happened around him. And basically he was forgotten. Joe Milton was the guy in training camp. It was clear that Joe Milton was going to start. And then Milton was ineffective and Hooker takes over. And Hooker's Hooker's the reason they've been competitive in these games. And, and, you know, blew out Missouri, blew out South Carolina, and, and why they're in a position to possibly win this game against Ole Miss. And he's down there working on his right knee. So if, if you watch this game and this is boring to you, I'm sorry. Fast forward. <laughs> because this is, this is just unbelievable. Like If Joe Milton comes in here right now and throws a touchdown pass, he is a legend in the state of Tennessee forever. Forever. They're the 27. Link. Uh, 33. It's 18, 18 seconds. 18 seconds to go. So we'll see. They're, they're still working on Hinn and Hooker. I'm staying off Twitter because I, I have a, I'm using a streaming service and I'm probably 30 seconds behind in the real world. And so I don't want to be spoiled here. But we'll, we'll, 
they're still working on Hinden Hooker. So we got to talk about a little bit other stuff before we we'll, we'll we'll get to other business right now. While we're waiting, Ari on Friday, you told us all a story about your dad and you as a young driver. <laughs> and that you scratched up your car, you scratched up your mom's car, you scratched up your dad's car. And at a certain point, your dad goes, Ari, at what point does it stop being a blanking coincidence? We, we told that, you told that story because we were talking about our renewed faith in Scott Frost in Nebraska and how they've played the last few weeks and they've looked really good, be it in a loss to Michigan State, a loss to Michigan, or the win against Northwestern. And we said, we have faith, Unless they go lose at Minnesota. And they lost at Minnesota in a fashion where you just ask, at what point does it stop being a blanking coincidence? I'm just going to say it bluntly. I'm out. Well, I, of course you are. No, no, How I'm just saying, like, I'm not, going, I'm not going back in either. Like, I'm done. Like, I think that's it. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't think you can be back in. Oh, by the way, they got to play Purdue now. Purdue looked pretty good. Now, Purdue's ripe for a letdown game, but I just, uh, yeah, I, they they were looking so much more competent. And then to let this offense do what it did, Tanner Morgan had a, a very long, I believe he set a school record for consecutive completions. Like, what happened? This defense was playing so well. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea of of trying to analyze what's going on at Nebraska or has gone on at Nebraska is what's going on, right? What's the, first down, Tennessee. Or? Joe Milton came in and threw a first down, uh, threw for a first down. So the clock stops, all the chains move. Twelve seconds, clock is running again, and they have clocked it with eleven seconds to go. Ari, this is this is exciting, real time action here. This has got to be torture for you, theoretically. Theoretically, no, it's okay. I already resigned myself to the theoretical loss, and honestly, well, I, you, I don't, I don't think that Tennessee is going the, to win. Did you so. have the ULM Liberty money line? That's the big question. I didn't. No, unfortunately not. Actually, Saturday was quite brutal for uh, the Wasserman household. So, you know, we're just kind of in the uh, numb phase of of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was that was other than Kentucky covering. Mark Stoops calling timeout before the final seconds ticked off so that Kentucky could score a touchdown and cover. ULM intercepting Malik Willis to seal a win against Liberty as a 30-point dog. Oh, my gosh. Joe Milton just just missed by about six inches a touchdown pass right there. You remember Joe Milton has a cannon. He, he can also has a tendency wrist. to overthrow people, doesn't he? And he did this. He did it. Now it would have been a very tough catch, but if it, and also if it had been a little bit lower, it might have gotten deflected by a DB that was that was flying mm-hmm. through the air. But they were on the twenty-one yard line. He can flick his wrist and get it in the end zone. This is it, Ari. Oh no! Timeout, Ole Miss. <laughs> There's three well, seconds left. This is the last play. Throw something that will get a PI called in the end zone. Yeah, if we learned it, anything from Stanford, Oregon, throw something that'll get a PI called in the end zone. You know, what's crazy is Joe Milton should just intentionally underthrow something. Yes, and then maybe to, and then maybe con- somebody will just you know run he, into a receiver. Is he physically capable of underthrowing? I don't know. Has he ever over- underthrown? I don't think so. 
I, I, I'm going back to the memory banks and trying to remember if he ever underthrew anybody at Michigan. I'm pretty sure he's an overthrow guy. <laughs> We're about to find out, though. This is, this is just wild. So, uh, by the way, speaking of Stanford, Stanford lost in Pullman. Uh, Washington State drove down and scored with a, a little under two minutes to go and then hit Tanner McKee on three consecutive plays. Nick Rolovich doesn't know if he's going to have a job either Sunday or Monday, uh, he's asked for a religious exemption from the vaccination requirement in the state of Washington. And so he will either be granted that or he won't. Joe Milton just ran out of bounds. Game over. Ole Miss wins. That, that was, was a very anticlimactic end. Disappointing. That was very anticlimactic. Very he didn't throw it? He did not throw it. Now, I don't think anybody was open. I don't think it would have mattered. Lane Kiffin covered Lane Kiffin putting his hoodie up as if that will stop a bottle. <laughs> I mean, or a golf ball. Human nature. Oh, there the memes that will come out of this game. The pictures of this will be just unbelievable. Now he's going. Oh, the hoodie's off. He's going to. T- they're going to do the post game handshake with Heupel. It looks like so. We we've got the you know Kiffin State Trooper raising his hand. Hey, we're over here. Oh, we got the we got the shake and the hug. And they're off. And now they're trying to get him off the field. So there you go. Wow. Is this not the weirdest sport in the world, Ari Wasserman? There's zero, zero question about what is the weirdest sport in the world. Zero. It's not a debate. Matt Corral had a great game, by the way. He ran for almost 200 yards, threw for over 200. Uh, threw, did throw his first pick of the season, but that that was outstanding. All right, let's, let's move elsewhere in the SEC West or in the SEC to the SEC West. We have not talked about Alabama yet. Last week, the show was almost entirely about Alabama losing to Texas A&M. Alabama gets right against Mississippi state. Couple interceptions early that really changed, changed the game, gave Mississippi state no chance to win, but Alabama looked like Alabama again, for lack of a better, a better term. I mean, Tennessee next uh, next week, LSU, New Mexico State, Arkansas, and Auburn. I mean, I think what we're doing is basically putting ourselves on track for what we knew was probably going to be the case all along, right? Which was a Georgia-Alabama SEC championship game, which will be amazing to watch. I am certainly can't wait to see it. And if Alabama wins, both will go to the playoff. Yes, and... I know that the conspiracy theorists are saying, well, if Alabama loses, they'll find a way to put him in too. I don't think they will. I, I, I think Alabama would have to win to get into the playoff. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what it's going to take for the first two loss playoff team. You know, maybe a year like this is, but, you know, like Cincinnati might be number two in the initial mm-hmm. poll, uh, the playoff poll. So, you know, it's just been a weird year. A lot of teams have lost and, you know, it seems to be pretty wide open outside of Georgia. So, you know, you never know, but you know, Alabama had a tough game. It happens. Great teams lose weird, weird games. I don't know if Alabama is quite as good as they were last year, because last year, in my opinion, was one of the best teams in college football history, especially if you let the first round of the NFL draft, tell you the story about it. Um, But absolutely not shocked whatsoever that Alabama came out and won by what 40. And Mississippi State's got some dudes on defense. It was a road game. You know, I think in theory it could have been a close game. And, you know, I think if people thought that, hey, Alabama is actually a flawed team, that that would have shined through. And clearly they do have some issues that kind of, 
you know, came to the surface in the A&M game, but I don't think that anybody, I, I don't think that, I mean, I certainly didn't think that the playoff run was over. No, and we we also canceled Ohio State after they lost to Oregon, and I think they're going to be very much in it too. Oregon, we'll see. They they won ugly against Cal. They're in the same. They're in another situation where uh, you've got a fan base screaming for a, a different quarterback. I don't know if that's necessarily going to happen. They they played their first game without C.J. Verdell, who was lost for the season in the Stanford game, and it wasn't pretty. But they ended up winning against Cal. So, you know, they if they go undefeated the rest of the way, they're protected by that win against Ohio State. So that would put them in. And then you've got Oklahoma sitting there with no losses, and now they've switched to Caleb Williams, and they look pretty tough to beat. Though, we haven't talked about this yet, Ari. The other side of Bedlam, the Oklahoma State Cowboys – we just kind of assumed that they had a pretty good defense and a a not great offense and that, you know, eventually they would get their comeuppance. They would, they would play against a team that had a more dynamic offense. Oh no, you're doing the horns down. You're done. Are you out on Texas? Sorry. Are you out? out? That's it. I'm out. Stick over. Well, I, I, and I'm sure this joke has been made many, many times, but it, it only occurred to me, in the second half of that game as Texas was doing absolutely nothing on either side of the ball. All gas, no breaks. You eventually run out of gas. And that that is exactly what Texas has done the last two weeks. Blindfold yourself. Watch Texas and tell me if there's an identifiable difference between Tom Herman and what you're seeing this year. There is. The, a little bit the first more half, cool, they're very creative, explosive on offense. Creative... Offensive design. They, it's the they same they're team. better at getting the ball. They're better at getting the ball to their best players, but they they blow leads. It was a yellow the, golf ball that hit Lane Kiffin. By the way, I just saw it. <laughs> I mean, he's lucky. Yellow. I mean, you can Did somebody have a, your skull. Is that a range where, ball? Wherever it came from. Have a range ball in their pocket. Can lucky enough that he didn't hurt him. All right, so. Oklahoma State's defense continued to be nasty. They, they weathered the storm in the first half and then just completely shut Texas down in the second half. And then Jalen Warren was awesome in the second half. 33 carries for 193 yards in the game, and it felt like he was just eating the entire clock in the second half. Are we going to get an undefeated Bedlam? That would be awesome. But the, and, and the thing is, we'll get another one right after it. Yeah, two for one. Yeah, because they remember that they, they moved Bedlam before they moved it earlier. Uh, the Kyler Murray year, there was a, there was that fantastic game that they played in Norman, but that was earlier in the season. This one is back, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend, so we could definitely get that. I'm, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, Iowa State in Ames next week is probably the toughest toughest game they've got left. They've got to go to West Virginia, but I think it feels like West Virginia's banged up enough that they're they're not the threat they were at the beginning of the season. Uh, TCU at Texas Tech, uh, yeah. I'd say there's a really good chance we get an undefeated Bedlam. I hate to be this guy because what happens in the past isn't analysis. It's just regurgitating what has happened in the past. But the Big 12 is such a weird conference. It's like it would not surprise me if Oklahoma State slipped up as soon as next weekend. 
Well, having to go to Ames is is probably the worst possible next. I know, but I could totally see them losing to TCU or losing at West Virginia. I mean, that that's the way this conference is. You know, those all these games are close and competitive for some reason, and you know, I don't know. Uh, it seems like on paper that's the way it should turn out, but I think it's time to get Oklahoma State in the top five. Yes, absolutely. That's fine. I mean, I I, I think they've looked. Explain to me why Iowa could be two when Oklahoma State is sitting at six well, and zero at right. twelve. What, what's the difference? One team was both of these teams were winning with defense, and the offense looked a little shaky. The difference is this week Oklahoma State the defense played unbelievable for a half. The 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 one that mattered. And then Oklahoma State's offense also showed up. So I, I'm with you. If, if you thought Iowa was, was the number two team in the country, then you should definitely think Oklahoma State is a top five type team. I agree. I mean, all you can do, I guess, is it's a hypothetical crap or resume, and, and they're undefeated. They've got two wins over pretty solid teams. They went on the road and beat Boise. That has to matter. Mm-hmm. You know, Kansas yep. State, Baylor, Texas is a really tough three-game stretch. They won oh, all three. How about that win against Baylor looking better and better every week? Yeah, I know. Baylor then, dominated BYU. They go out and beat Iowa State. That's a pretty, pretty Boise at Boise, home against Kansas State, home against Baylor, at Texas, at Iowa State. You win all five of those games, and then you're not automatically in the – I mean, I might rank them above Oklahoma at that point. Now, they're not as sexy as Oklahoma. But well, they, they probably the done more. They got to play. They got to play, and they probably got to play twice. So it's fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying, like from a from a resume standpoint, you know, at a certain point, you got to put yourself all the you know preconceived notions and what happened in the past and all that stuff's got to go to the wayside. And you know what's happened on the field is what's got to take precedent here. Yeah, I, I just I cannot cannot believe that this is how it's working out because, you know, early in the season, when you watch them play, they were, it felt like they were just kind of struggling and, you know, would they ever get the offense going right? The offense looked exactly the way it needs to be to complement that defense in the second half of that Texas game. They, they look like, they look like a, a, a kind of like Georgia light. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't believe you're not like shoving this Texas thing in my face right now. No, it ha- everybody gets blinded by the burn orange. It happens. It happened to me early in my career. Because, because you can't imagine, you can't understand, you can't figure out why they can't do it. Like why they're not good all the time. It doesn't make any sense. I still don't understand it. But I'm out, everybody. Bye. I'm out. By the way, ESPN's matchup predictor, and I have no idea how accurate this thing is because, you know, they don't release the, the numbers that, that create the football power index. And I don't know if this is updated yet. But according to the, according to the matchup predictor right now, Iowa State has an 81.5% chance of beating Oklahoma State next week. I find that very difficult to believe. I wonder what the spread of that, of that game is going to be. Was that that's one of the best games of the weekend next weekend? So I'm I'm looking forward to watching that. Yeah, it is it is going to be something. Next next weekend is is going to be wild. I don't know that anybody's going to get hit with a golf ball, but who knows at this point, Ari? That this is this has been a very strange season. I'm here for it. I mean, fans being back in the stands, I think, makes a a big difference for everything. 
But you know, th- there's a few things, though. If, if I had come to you in August and said that Mississippi State and Oklahoma State will be undefeated 7-0, and what would you have said to me? They won't be. <laughs> no way. It's not possible, right? Yeah. I mean, Mississippi State's not. No. I say Mississippi State, yeah, well, Oklahoma you- State, and, and Michigan State. Oh, yeah. I would have told you you were crazy, obviously. Michigan State is another one of the – this is just – it's Iowa with with green on. So just wait for them to play anybody with a pulse. They get down by 10, they're going to lose too. And it probably is going to happen next weekend or two weeks from now when they play Michigan. But their That's, offense is pretty pretty brutal watch too. So, you know, I, I get it. You have teams that are winning all of their games, and at a certain point you have to recognize wins, and I get that. But Michigan State is not a top-10 team. They're just not. Next question. Are you prepared for a Pitt-NC State ACC championship game? Do you want to bet that Pitt's going to go into the championship game? I do not. <laughs> I do not. Even though I think they're going to, I will yeah, not Pitt's do it. They forced me to eat mayonnaise. Pitt's, Pitt's really good. good. How, did, how did Pitt lose to Western Michigan? I don't, and there it is. <laughs> That's the whole thesis right there, bud. And, and, and there but might be another... Ari, next week, Clemson at Pitt, three thirty Eastern time. Who you got? Yeah. I don't pick Pitt games. <laughs> <laughs> if if you if you gotta have a code, that's a code to have. So yeah, man, man's got to have a code, and Ari has one. There there will be no betting on Pitt games, and trust me, I will never do it again. <laughs> except maybe on Friday if Ari ropes me into it. And yeah, I might try. But then again, if I, I bet against Pitt, I'm also betting on a Pitt scenario, and then I am. Ari, I think, I think Pitt might win. Yeah, why wouldn't they? Clemson's offense. Well, yeah, Clemson's offense, Iowa's offense, and Michigan State's offense are like in a category of their own right now. Um. We saw Clemson's offense face Georgia's defense, and I was going to make a joke. What would you have to do in order to watch or get Georgia's defense on the same field with Iowa's offense? Like, would that just be abuse? <laughs> that would be horrible. That would be terrifying. I can't. Nobody deserves to have to watch. Do you think that. Iowa would score a point? No. Do you think Iowa would get past the fifty? Without a turnover? Would they do better than Arkansas? Is that what you're asking me? I don't yeah. think they'd be, be I don't think they're better offensively than Arkansas. Yeah. Would they get a hundred yards of total offense? Depending on how much Georgia scored and and when the subs came in. Because I don't know that Georgia would score that much against Iowa State. Are we sure that Iowa could get a first down against Georgia subs? I, I don't know about that, but but I do know they would very mightily struggle against Georgia starters. So let's put that out of your mind. Those are the top they, two teams going, in the country coming into the into the week. They are not going to see <laughs> each other this season, Ari. I think oh, really? we learned that today. Yeah, the, the, Georgia and Iowa will not see each other down the road. Not I think happen. we learned that at week one. But yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> not going to happen. 
So we will drastically overrate somebody else. And then we will very excitedly discuss them losing next week. Because that's, that's the name that's of the game right it. there. That's the game. Yep. We, and, and, and it may be Pitt that we drastically overrate. <laughs> you might. I don't know about it. I'm, I'm just, I'm even keel on Pitt. No, you're just avoiding Pitt. That's that's all you're doing. I don't know how you, to analyze you, a team that, do, that, that doesn't make sense. You're afraid to look Pitt in the eye. That's what you're, you're terrified of it. I am. You, you don't know what you're going to see back. What's crazy is, is that when you really peel back the layers of the onion, Texas is Pitt. Wow. I'm not sure that makes any sense at all, but and but I'm it makes you. a ton of sense. Yeah, it's it's the the inability to or the inability to understand anything that happens involving that team. It is it is truly amazing. Stay tuned. We'll be back throughout the week. You get football and grits with me and David Ubbin. On Monday, you get Power Hour with Nicole Auerbach and, and Michael Felder on Tuesday. I'll be back on Wednesday, Thursday, One True Pod with Jason Kersey and Max Olson and Sam Kahn talking Big 12. And then Friday, Ari and I will be back to bet we'll on Clemson and Pitt. Before that, before that, on Monday, also listen to the Athletic Football Show. If you like what we do here about college football, Robert Mays is doing the same thing with the NFL games, breaking them down right after they happen, and it's a lot of fun. I don't know that they're going to be doing as much live commentary on the games as we did with Tennessee Ole Miss, but that was weird. But absolutely listen to the Athletic Football Show on Monday. But on Friday, yes, on Friday, Ari, I'm stupid enough to get roped into betting something. We'll come up, maybe we'll come up with something on Pitt Clemson because I just at this point feel like I need that danger in my life. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll just, I need the action. Yeah. You know what? Book it. We'll figure it out. But no matter what it is, no matter what the number is, you're on Pitt. What if I, pick, Oh, I can't, I can't pick Clemson. No, you're on Pitt, but I could lose. You, picking want, Clemson just <laughs> as easily. you want danger in your life? Just say I'm on Pitt. Okay. Well, all you listeners, if you've made it this far in the show, we love you. We can't wait to see what you're making for breakfast in the morning. Uh, please rate, review. That helps us. That helps move us up the charts. We like, we like beating that competition. But if you've got any ideas about how this could possibly be paid off, if, if I'm willing to, once again, bet on the Pittsburgh Panthers... We're all ears. So hit us up at Ari Wasserman at any underscore staples on Twitter. We're open to ideas. I can't believe I'm saying this. We'll talk to you later.